0: Welcome to the a World of Difference podcast. This is a new series on immigration, and you are listening to episode six. I want to tell you about Anchor because it's what I use to record these podcasts. Why do I use it? Number one, it's free. Number two, it's simple. I don't have a lot of tech skills, but I don't need to because Anchor does a lot of the work for you. And as you know, many of you who know, I'm a career woman. I do this as a hobby on the side in my free time, and I love my kids and my family, and I don't want it to take more time than it needs to. (laughs) So thank you, Anchor, for that. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And so they also distribute it for you anywhere you hear podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the different ones. You can make money from it if you choose to with no minimum listenership, and it's got everything you need to make the podcast in one place. So I would encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thank you so much for joining for this series on immigration. It is such an important topic right now. It has been for the past couple of years, especially, but right now, especially with COVID and everything going on, there's just a lot to think about when it comes to the conversation around immigration, in the United States, but also in many countries around the world. And so I'm going to have some guests here on this series that are really important thinkers, activists, people who are immigrants themselves, people who are writing about immigration, lobbying in different spaces in government regarding immigration. We're going to talk about um, people in the faith community and what this means for people in the faith community. We're going to talk about what it means as a citizen of a nation, what it means to welcome the immigrant, what it means to feel welcomed yourself as an immigrant, and what are some practical ways we can help in both small and big ways in systems being changed and how we can let government leaders know what's important to us as a citizen and just what it means to be a human being who cares for another human being. I'm just really excited that you're here. You're going to learn so much from my guests. You're going to be challenged and you're going to come away from this having all kinds of conversations about what can we do differently. And I just ask that you open your mind and your heart and your soul to what you might learn, what invitation might be extended to you that wasn't extended to you before. And you're going to have New thoughts that you haven't had before. It may cause some uh, difficult feelings um, to be have to be worked through, but I think it's going to be really worth it. So I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really glad that you're going to listen to all my amazing speakers, and um, just thanks for showing up. If this is a series that you feel like others would benefit from, I would just encourage you to to listen to it together and maybe have those conversations. Because it's really, I think, in working together with others where we can kind of brainstorm and innovate and come up with ways we can help together. It always feels like one person, it it feels alone when you're the only one. But two, even two, is really strong. There's just a power in coming together with others to try to solve these kind of problems and have these kind of discussions. So yeah, if if there are um, people in your life that you're thinking of please share this with them and let them know. This is gonna be a really important space when we think through what it means to be an immigrant and what it means to welcome the immigrant. My first guest on this immigration series is my friend, Alan Cross. Alan is currently the lead pastor at Petaluma Valley Baptist Church in Marin County in the Bay Area here in California. It's, he's been here a little over a year, but it's a return to California for him because I met him well over 20 years ago when we were getting our master's degrees at the same time uh, in Northern California. And um, he went on to pastor a Baptist church in Montgomery, Alabama, and just through his years there, um, began to really be involved in this whole conversation surrounding immigration and he became very involved in helping to engage people around the conversations about welcoming immigrants and refugee neighbors and uh, working alongside with the Evangelical Immigration Table. Uh, He's also done some lobbying at like state government level as well as um, national level in this conversation. He brings just so much uh, information and wisdom. He's also worked, um, engaged in some postgraduate studies at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill in public administration. He has written a lot about this whole issue with immigration, and he in 2014 published a book, When Heaven and Earth Collide, Racism, Southern Evangelicals, and the Better Way of Jesus. And uh, he's also written quite a bit in uh certain articles for the new york times for religion news service christianity today the bulwark times some other publications so you can find him in all of those areas but he he really just brings um a lot of wisdom a lot of um knowledge mostly gained just by his own desire to learn and know more and to care for the immigrant and welcome the immigrant he'll he'll certainly talk about that today and um I just encourage you to open your ears and your heart, uh, your mind, to what he has to say because I think it's it's very, very important. And he comes from, you know, firsthand information as someone who has researched and written on this, but just out of a pastor's heart of love and care and concern uh, because of what he understands that the scriptures teach about what it means to welcome our immigrant neighbors around us. And so... Yeah, just listen in, uh, take notes, follow him online, wherever he writes, and uh, engage in this conversation with Alan. Uh, Here he is, my friend, Alan Cross. Hey, how are things going up in um, Marin County with the fires and near you?
1: uh going okay um they have gotten uh better control of the fires and uh the evacuations um slowed down i think most people have been able to go back to their homes that have them i mean there were some structures that burned and some homes that burned i know a pastor up in, uh uh north of us who lost his home and, and so he's mm-hmm. working for that um an associate pastor of a church and this church is supporting him and helping him and all that um but uh you know there, there wasn't a large number like in in previous years but still enough to for people some folks be affected and and um but uh we're we served as a shelter last year last fall for the Uh um Kincaid fire and a bunch of people here but and we're on the list we, we've we worked through all the process with the city and the county to be an official shelter and we've gone through the covid protocols about how we would do it during covid and all that kind of stuff so this kind of um i hope that we don't have any more fires like yeah. that's my, that's my prayer but um we we weren't needed as a shelter but we kind of Went through all the process to be ready, you know, and uh, know what yeah. we need to do with with um because it's all different with COVID than it was before. Oh, I know. It's like
0: we a just, double whammy. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Where we just packed people in, so now you know we have to. So anyway, on our end, that was kind of a good dry run, I guess, to get ready. Um, but uh, but we were we weren't needed. Um, so that was that's good.
0: That's good um, news. Yeah. But,
1: but there's still a lot of smoke. Um, yeah, as they are fighting it, the wind shifted yesterday, and uh, our whole you know, lower valley, uh, Paloma Valley where we are, was just totally covered in smoke. Um, know, yeah, So, yeah. So, still going through that.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think it's pretty similar to what you're saying down here in the Silicon Valley, you know, we had fires on, we're in Santa Clara, so we had fires on the West of us and on the East of us here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it was pretty smoky for a while. We have, you know, people we know personally that lost their homes in the Santa Cruz mountains and, People Uh that had to evacuate that the fires got really close with. And we've been trying to do some things to bless firefighters, which incidentally is not easy to do, apparently, (laughs) Uh Uh because they have a lot of restrictions on what they can receive, which I understand is really good because you don't want a firefighter receiving anything that feels like a bribe that would make them want to choose one house over another because they do have to make kind Uh of, you know, really hard decisions, which are not easy to make. Um, and then also during COVID, it's, you know, there's a lot of protocols on what kind of food you can give and, uh-huh. you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, we found some creative ways to find uh, opportunities to put some supplies in some hotels in Scott's Valley in the lobby where firefighters just kind of come in and take what they need. Um, so that's been kind of nice. And then we've been able to bless some evacuees in the area as well. And it's going to be increasing in terms of the need in that way, just because COVID was already such a hard hitting thing and, you know, homelessness is already such an issue in our area. Mm-hmm. And then additionally, all of this, but yeah, it's just so much going on, you know, who knew we were going to have a pandemic and all these crazy fires <laughs> at the same time, um, It's been very challenging, but it's a good opportunity to, to reach out to people. But anyway, what we're talking about today is immigration. So thank you so much for coming on. When I think of immigration, there's several people that come to mind that are really leading the way um, in some really important areas. And you're, of course, and in, in that list. And um, and so I have listeners kind of from all around the world that listen to this podcast and, um, and a significant number here in the U.S. And so I know that you've really done a lot in the last many years to help advocate for immigrants and help people, especially in the church, to understand kind of what our role is and, and both politically and also just as, as Christians in the church. So I guess uh, my first question would be, how would you really describe what's going on right now with immigration in the United States?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, I guess, kind of start with myself and, and how I got into this just because that will give context. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm not an immigrant. Uh, I'm not the, the child of, of immigrants. Um, I'm, I, I mean, at some point in my ancestry, I can go back to the 1850s and, and find, um, immigrant and, and probably refugee, um, ancestors, uh, you know, based on how we would define refugees. Um, uh-huh. uh, but, um, you know, just over the last decade or so, just became aware of, of the plight of immigrants as a, as a white Southern Baptist, uh, evangelical pastor in Alabama, um, you know, from the South with, uh, with, with heritage that goes back, of uh, you know, several hundred years. And, and, um, you know, so kind of a. Um, if you look at demographics, and if you look at all of the things um, that, uh, you know, sometimes people think lead into these, you know, areas of interest. This was not something that directly affected me in the sense of you know i'm i'm speaking about this because because it's my it's my family or because i'm directly affected but i felt like it did affect me because of the role of the church and because yeah. of the ministry of the church and what god commands us to do and so mm-hmm. you know, just the ministry of receiving uh people which which is really um important and we can talk more about that later that that I've, I've come to the point that that in the context of of mission that receiving is is just about as important as going um and yeah. sending um and there's a whole biblical teaching there that, that we've missed um mm-hmm. which i'm trying to recover uh so you know so there's that um so just the idea of hospitality of welcoming and of, of seeing the plight of others and seeing what others are going through and the um Uh, you know, just the ethic of, of who we are as a people and how we welcome people and how we see people and how we care for people, how we talk about people, um, how, how there are people who, in groups that demagogue against others and create really negative perspectives and, or, or lift up negative perspectives, which then creates a lot more uh, conflict. And, and, um, and, and then people who come to us for help or are, are shut out or rejected, or, you know, all of these things, this has been a big swirl um, for the past five or six years that's been just growing in our country. Yeah. And, um you know, just seeing the, the need to tell a better story, which is something I talk about all the time. How, how can the mm-hmm. church? step in and be the church and love people and welcome people in the midst of, um, you know, kind of this movement, um, that has been growing, um, especially in, in Western nations, um, against, the, against migrants and against refugees and against, um, you know, immigrants from other countries, people coming, um, cause we think about what they might take from us and what we might lose as opposed to what we can gain from, uh, you know sharing relationships with each other so all of that's been going on and all that has then affected um, our view of public policy and and something that should be pretty uncontroversial overall as far as how we see people and welcome people and um and and and, and talk about people and care for people has become kind of a major uh, it's, it's moved into the realm of, of politics in the, in the sense that um, that people are using the issue to fight against others and to, to kind of gain ground for themselves and for their agendas. And so I've just tried to, to step into that, not from a polit- partisan political perspective in the sense of who has power, but more in a prophetic um, uh, state from a Christian perspective of how we see people and how we care about others that God cares about. And, um, you know, so wading into the political sphere and, and all these ideological battles with the message of the cross and the sacrificial love of Christ to say, this is how we should see people and care about people, especially if you call yourself Christian. But even if you don't, uh, these things are important, you know, just for how we live. And I speak as a Christian, I speak as a follower of Jesus, um, but I'll, I'll speak to anybody and with anybody along these lines, because all this matters, how we, how we live life on the planet. Right. So okay. that's just kind of, um, you know, an overall context of, of how I got into this, but, but um, I'm not sure if I specifically answered your question, but, yeah, kind know. Of, you know, setting the context. So,
0: yeah, it, it's so helpful for us to understand the background, because I think um, part of what we'll talk about today deals with stereotypes. And so some people might have a stereotype that those who advocate for immigrants must, you know, be a recent immigrant themselves. Um, but you're talking about your family the immigration would have happened many generations ago. And Uh yet you still as a as a follower of Jesus who wants to lead in the faith community, this affects you. And I think those are important things to talk about that we often don't talk about, right?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, right, because I mean, half of, I mean, well, I mean, maybe not half, but probably at least 40% of the immigration conversation is about receiving people. It's, yeah. about, it's about host people um, where they live and the attitudes that they have towards people who come. And that is often left out. And so in that vacuum, it's filled with, with people with, re- it can be filled with people with, with, with really nefarious agendas and real antagonism against immigrants. And that fills up the space. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we need to fill this, the space of receiving with people of goodwill and people who are influenced by Jesus in the Bible. And it talks a lot about receiving. And it's actually a major aspect of mission is how we welcome and receive people um, that, unfortunately, we've just about totally neglected. Um, it's, it's starting to be recovered a little bit, but it's not something that many of us are aware of. So,
0: yeah, um, well, yeah. I, I, I love that whole posture. And I, I do totally agree with you that. Um, as we look at those some of those verses, both in the Old and New Testaments and the scriptures, um, that they're often misinterpreted right now. And I just think it's true that we need to recover that. And so I'm really interested to know um, your your work, like you said, you're a pastor, you were in Alabama for a while, now you're back in California again, um, for a year or so. And you you work both within the church, but I know that you've also done some things to help, you know, both um, state legislatures and state you know, senators and different, and also at the national level in DC. Um, so, how do you describe the the role that you feel like you should play both within the church and kind of the political sphere? And I know you also do some writing as well. So, how would you say your role is in terms of the work that you're doing on behalf of immigrants is, is looking?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I, I was, you know, more active, I guess, as, as an advocate um, in between pastorates. And so I pastored um, in Montgomery for. About um about fifteen or sixteen years in a in a Baptist church there, and then I began to work as a as a, a, as an advocate and, and had a, had a platform with our local Baptist association and, and worked a lot on racial reconciliation work in in um, in Montgomery. Um, giving city tours and speaking about the book I had written on on that topic, and then also uh, going around the southeast and um, you know working with multiple groups. Um, uh, uh, Bible's Badges of Business was a group uh, that, that I worked with as a southeast um, uh, a coordinator for that, and the Evangelical Immigration Table. I worked with them and and working with Southern Baptists and um and and just church groups um um to really help people kind of have a perspective on how can we welcome uh people from a biblical perspective and so there was a policy perspective on that where we would just take pastors and we would we would speak with congressmen and and we would just talk about what churches were doing um to welcome people um what the bible said about it I would go to to DC and Meet with congressional and Senate staffs and pray with them and just, and just talk about not, not specifically like here's a bill or here's a policy that has to happen, but the overall attitude that we should have uh, Seeing people as made in God's image, caring about children and families, um, you know, kind of uh, an overall view of, of how we value um, immigrants and, and, re- and refugees and, and then encouraging our, our policymakers to, to take those values as biblical values into the perspective on how they write, uh, you know, write. Uh, uh, and pass legislation. Um, so, so it isn't, you know, in the sense where you say this bill is the bill that has to happen, or this person has to be elected. It isn't that at all. It's more of how can we speak into and influence and, and reflect from a value perspective. And, um, and, you know, and, and, and both Republicans and Democrats, and, and you know, uh, people on all sides were always very open to that discussion. And, and, and sometimes there would be legislation that would come up that would just totally, or enact uh executive order or, or, or just a policy proposal that would really violate um, what scripture said. Um, yeah. so we would speak against that. We'd say, Hey, this doesn't fit. Um, you know, not that America is Israel or America is a church, but as Christians, you know, we have the ability to witness to the state, you know, and in yeah. uh, the country we live in. So we would speak from a Christian perspective. And so, um, and then when I came back to pastor, uh, here in California I, I stepped away from a lot of that um, as, as far as just the the direct advocacy and, and that work um, and and have shifted to you know pastoring but but you know just just continue to write and and to, to speak about the values behind it and 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 the posture of the church and the posture of Christians towards the vulnerable and 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 how that should influence the political sphere but you know not not trying to control it or I, I really um, am working hard to to not like just land in partisan camps because, um, yeah, you know, we should be able to speak to all sides from what scripture says. And it seems like Jesus did that, you know?
0: Yeah, that's good. So. so when you, you've had, you know, a lot of interaction with different immigrants, you've also been advocating for them and you've written about the situation in America. So I think there's a lot of stereotypes. I mentioned this earlier about what it means to be an immigrant, Um, what, how would you describe what it means to be an immigrant in the United States of America?
1: Well, I mean, you know, it depends on, on where you're coming from and what resources you have when you come, uh, what kind of networks you have. I mean, there, you know, you, you might have on one end, uh, you know, um, uh, entrepreneur, uh from India, uh, who has lots of resources and is coming to start a business in, in Silicon Valley or, you know, uh, yeah. um, a tech worker, you know, who can step right in, um, you know, with a job on, uh, and make a lot of money right from the very beginning because of their skill set. And so that's on, on one end, you have, you have students, international students, they're not, um, immigrants or non-immigrants, but they would, they would come in and possibly transition into a job, um, if they could get the right visa. Um, yeah. You know, so you have one end of things, which is one type of experience um, where you might face some opposition and some people who don't really want you here because of of certain biases. Then on the other end, you, up until recently, our asylum asylum system has basically been stopped. Um, But, you know, you would have a mother and a child fleeing violence and, you know, war and abuse and and all types of horrendous things in El Salvador or Guatemala or wherever it might be um, in the Northern Triangle, who makes the trek through Mexico and presents herself at the border for asylum, you know, and uh, and then and then comes in with 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 no resources and and goes through a process. And so, um, you know, and then you have refugees and, and and you have people who have fled war and they've gone through a, a vetting process. So 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 immigration, the whole idea of migration, refugees, asylum seekers, you know, immigrants. It's so broad, and it it took me quite some time. Um, of study starting in the mid two thousand tens, even before uh, even while I was pastor of my previous church, it kind of became my hobby to just read and read and sit up you know at 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 ten eleven o'clock at night just kind of of reading articles and journals and books and mm-hmm. you know everything to try to because um the big misconception about immigration that that ninety nine percent of people have is they read an article online and they think they know about it and they think they know yeah. what it is. And yeah. then they begin to speak authoritatively. And then they begin to speak with really strong opinions based on what they think. And almost all of it's wrong. Um, and yeah. I didn't understand that until I really began to study. I had no idea how much I didn't know. I had no mm-hmm. idea how, how many variables there were, how many different experiences, how many different approaches and visas and, and all of these different things and, and, and where you come from and what color your skin is and what, you, you know, your, your national background. I mean, obviously, unfortunately, I mean, an immigrant from England, coming today has a very different experience than, than an immigrant from Cameroon, uh, you know, or, or, um, you know, uh, Sudan or, or someplace like that, um, the way that they're accepted here and the, the opportunities they have. And so it's, it's a very broad thing. And, um, you know, there are relational networks, there are, are places people go because they have family members, um, because there might be somebody that that can help them, um, and then communities begin to build in certain places like like South Nashville, as an example, where where yeah. a Kurd- a Kurdish refugees were 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 placed, and then more Kurds began to move there. And Montgomery, where we were, a Hyundai plant was built, and so the Korean business executives came and with the Hyundai plant, you know, uh, Korean workers came, and so then Korean restaurant owners began to move to Montgomery, because there's a Korean community there that they can service, and then more Koreans yeah. begin to come, and so, you know, over the past 15 years, you have this growing Korean community in Montgomery, Alabama, because Hyundai it has a plant yeah. there, um, and then more and more people move, so that's how, you know, that's kind of how it happens, um, so uh, really broad experiences for people, depending on where they're from, what resources they come with, where they move in the United States, um, you've had a over the past 25 years, you've had a lot of immigrants move to the southeast where I worked and where I lived for and where I'm from. Um, and that's what's created a lot of the backlash today because those weren't heavy immigrant areas. But, you know, there were places that needed workers and they uh, the cost of living was low. And and they were all the, you know, it's, it really started with, a, uh, ironically, it all started with uh, um, primarily with the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. Um, there's a whole story there. And then also the poultry. um. Uh, uh, plants and agricultural work in rural Alabama and Georgia and Mississippi and places like that. And then then you had the auto plants that came in. And and so little by little, the South um, has actually had more, I think, like 50 percent, almost 50 percent of all new immigrants in the United States um, over the past 20 years came to the Southeast or or came to the U.S. South, which includes Texas and Florida. And so backlash um, developed. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, I was there and I'm looking, well, this is where all of our church, I mean, not all of our churches, but as a Southern Baptist this is where our churches are and the yeah. Bible, says we should receive people, welcome people. And, um, and are we doing that? And so, you know, working with churches to, to do a better job at receiving people. So there's all of these dynamics, both on the receiving end, as well as the coming where people go, uh, what kind of resources they come with, where they come from, it is a massively complex issue, but it touches on every single facet of American life. And, um, and, uh you know, when you speak into that from a Christian perspective, you're speaking into everything, as it turns out.
0: Yeah, that's certainly true. And I, I know that you've written this book um, a while back, <laughs> called When Heaven and Earth Collide around the issues of racism. And it seems as though when we're talking about immigration, and when we're talking about the stereotypes in America, about what it means to be an immigrant, um, that we're dealing with stereotypes, but occasionally, we're also dealing with, you know, full on racism. And I know mm-hmm. that um, you know, you have understood that that's been alive and well within the American church, the whole issue of racism. And certainly this year, um, the curtain has been pulled back for a lot of people that didn't recognize that it was has been there all along. So I know that one of your phrases is telling a better story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we think about some of the misconceptions people have about immigrants, um, what would you like to clear up for the people
1: listening? Um. Yeah. I think, you know, it depends on what the person's attitude is, but if, if a lot of people with an anti-immigrant view are very afraid of what the immigrant, the migrant, the refugee, um, however uh, people come, the foreigner, um, they're afraid of of what they will take from them and what they'll lose, you know, what, um, you know, what might be lost, um, with them being here. And, uh, you know, that often is not how the immigrant sees. They're they're coming to work and they're coming to live and, and to build families and to be a part of America. I mean, immigrants, I mean, I've, I've never met an immigrant who came here because they didn't love America, you know. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, they want to be here. And the allure, I mean, you know, you've lived overseas. I've traveled overseas extensively for relatively long periods of time and in and, and many countries, and I've talked to people. And there's, there's this, I mean, I, I walk in as an American and people want to talk to me. They want to know. about our country there's i mean there's such a um you know i know that you know things have 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 changed a little bit the last you know however long amount of time but even as i traveled overseas and people didn't like things the american government was doing they still wanted to talk to americans um yeah you know and, and i was always received very warmly and um you know, very much welcomed because I took interest to be with them, and I was there. And so, um, you know, there was, there was a desire to learn more about America because America is a very powerful, rich nation, and that has a lot of influence. Yeah. and And there, it is a dream for so many people to to come here and to to, mm-hmm. to live. I mean, not everyone wants. You know, that's another misconception. Um, a lot of times, people think that everyone around the world wants to move to and live in America. And that's not the case. Yeah. You know, no, if our borders were completely open the whole world would not move here. Uh, um, right. <laughs> a, um, a lot of people have no desire to move here. They're interested in our country, but they have no desire to move here. And so that's, you know, that's a false belief, but, but the people who do come self-select just like our ancestors did, um, mm-hmm. you know, they pick up everything. They're um, ambitious people. They're hardworking people. They're people who want to make a go of things. No one comes here that I've ever met who comes here, who wants to just sit and do nothing. Um, yeah. People come here to work because this is a land of opportunity and, and they want to make the most of that. In some ways, the immigrants who come here are more American than many of the American native born um, because they buy into yeah. our values of a of, uh, of freedom and opportunity and liberty and hard work. And they know what those values are. They've studied, they've, they've learned, um, and, and and they aspire to to a better life. And uh, many of them are, are very religious Um uh, yeah. The majority of immigrants and refugees who come here are Christians uh, coming from, uh, you know, countries where perhaps Christianity is persecuted or, or 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 Christianity is not the favored religion, and so they come here and they look for churches and they want to be a part of churches. And so, you know, um, there's so many ideas that immigrants are coming to harm us, whereas I began to learn and am totally 100% convinced. That the vast majority of immigrants only make our lives better and only increase yeah. our quality of life, both in our communities as well as our churches. Our churches would be so much stronger if we would really pivot to the immigrants um, who've come to us, both who aren't Christians, or aren't affiliated with churches. Um, and, and, we, we, and we reach out to them in ministry and mission and evangelism and care and just partnering um, in our communities. But also too for those who are Christians, like last year, for example, Lori, um, I I went to the border multiple times. We had a million migrants who came to our border over the course of last year seeking asylum. Most of them and 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 looking for help, but so many of them uh, were were with children and families. as I went up and down the border, I was in El Paso, and I was in Tijuana, went to Nogales, um, and then I heard from people in Texas and from ministries. Everywhere I went, I heard that that the majority of the migrants coming were evangelical Christians, actually. Um, yeah. And uh, – and, and our churches in America, I was banging the drum as loud as I could. I was yelling at the top of my lungs, uh, however I could. We need to help support. We need to, to, to help the, the churches at the border who are receiving people because ICE was turning migrants over to the churches for processing like, like for a couple of days and they were overwhelmed. Um, well, you, yeah, I mean, your mom uh, was one of the first ones. Oh, Yeah, OK, I'm sorry. Um yeah. In Las Cruces. Uh, she was one of the first ones to tell me this. And I began to investigate it and found it was true up and down the border. What she said yeah. um, was that the majority were evangelical Christians. And, uh, um, and it wasn't just her. I mean, I heard this from multiple places and actually was able to yeah. work with um, with Sophia Lee with World Magazine who interviewed her. And she wrote an article uh, talking, of, yeah. uh, talking about this as well. Um, but just the perception, uh, oh, these are foreigners and therefore they're not of our faith. They're not of our uh, aspiration and whether people to be rejected, that's a stereotype that's just totally false. Um, and you mm-hmm. can find that out just by getting to know some people. Um, so that's a long answer to a short question, but I think it's important. I
0: think that there's so much people that are going to be listening to this podcast won't understand unless we tell them people like you that have been on the border and you've seen, and you've talked to people and you've seen it all firsthand. So many people don't get that privilege. And so I think it's important for a voice like yours to speak into it as as a pastor, but also just as a, a human being that cares for other human beings. Right. And so, um, yeah, I, I would just love for you to speak to those who are listening who um, have probably been seeing some of the rhetoric or afraid immigrants are gonna take their jobs. They're afraid they're gonna cause our nation to be more um, dangerous. And some of those stereotypes that we talked about earlier and a lot of that is being, you know, amped up. I think right now during this, you know, leading up to the election because I think fear does motivate voters and it's, it's actually good or bad, it's a motivator. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, I know my kids, um, you know, they're on YouTube, and they have been seeing these ads coming in from a certain political campaign that are saying things like, you know, immigrants are going to take your jobs, and they're, they're dangerous. And my kids, they don't see immigrants that way, mainly because we've been raised in another country. And we've been immigrants are, you know, most of our lives in other places. And we've always been, like you said, as Americans, well received but also because they know the work that their, their grandma does, mm-hmm. my mom mm-hmm. on the border and the way we talk about immigrants is different than what they're seeing on political ads on YouTube. But I would love for you to speak to the people who are listening right now that may just have a little bit of openness in their heart to have that mindset mindset shift. Um, and just talk to us about why it's important to care for immigrants as a person of faith. Like, why is that so important to you?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, truth is really, is really important, um, you know, for us and, you know, it, it isn't, um, falling into political trap to say what, uh, uh, what has happened. I mean, it was very clear in 2018, um, before the midterms that, um, you know, the Republican party and, and Trump were, were running and they were putting out there the migrant caravans, um, as, as being these hordes of people who were just going to to do horrible things. Um, and so they were using that as a, and and they were very public about it. I mean, this isn't, you know, any type of, uh, of, of, of false, um, conclusion that has been since 2015. Um, and and actually before with outlets like Breitbart and, and other far right, Uh um, you know, um, outlets who, I mean, I mean, this has been on purpose and this has been said over and over and again, and people have said it themselves, the whole, um, um, approach against immigrants has been a very calculated purposeful political move um to yeah you know to to put forward this idea of nationalism and that we need to protect ourselves you know you know from these people and people from from these countries and you know things like that and so um i'm i mean i'm a lifelong conservative i've you know you know, always voted Republican. And, and um, I, don't, I don't mind saying that. I mean, you know, we're in an America, yeah. and so we make choices. And that's my bent. That's my uh, political bent. And I'm a theological conservative as well. Those two things aren't at all the same. But, you know, just to kind of say what camp I've been in. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but as time has gone on, and as, as, I've seen, as I've seen these things metastasize and grow, and very publicly be put forward, I have to say on this issue, I really totally disagree. It doesn't fit with what's happening. It doesn't fit with what the Bible says. It doesn't fit with how we should see people. And so, um, either I'm going to be captive by a political ideology or I'm going to speak to it where it, where it differs from my faith, which is, which should be my North star. Like, I I mean, that's what should define me, not, not my politics. And my politics should be shaped by my faith, not the other way around. And so on this issue, the way that, that immigrants have been, um, um, you know, really demonized, um, in some significant ways, that's something that we have to push against. And, and, um, you know, and I think we have to say that's wrong and then vote how you want to. I mean, there are lots of reasons why people vote. There isn't just one issue. Uh, You know, people make that choice as they see fit, but when there are certain issues, like the way people are treated, the way people are spoken about and the way people are lumped together and categorized. um, And then, and then cast with aspersion. uh, When you meet people, I I remember going to a church in El Paso last year at the height of the migrant crisis. And um, I was talking to the pastor outside and, uh, and, And and they let and they said, oh, yeah, the uh, uh, they gave me like um, some stuff to carry in. Supplies were being delivered. And so I had a handful of stuff and I opened the door and I wasn't expecting to see what I saw when I opened the door. The sanctuary was nothing but cots. They had 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 taken their sanctuary and put cots everywhere. Um, uh, And there were migrants who had just come in that day and they were sitting there and there were men, women and children, families, babies. And there was not a single sound like the children just stared. The babies didn't even wow. cry. I mean, I'm I'm seeing yeah. it right now as I think about this. Uh, the people were exhausted, completely wiped yeah. out. Uh, you know, just tired, dirty, um, had had been through who knows what, and they were just sitting there and staring. And um, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I turned the corner and I looked into uh, in, uh, into the um into the sanctuary. And I just gasped, and it just like floored me. What I suppose I wasn't prepared mm-hmm. for. What I saw, and I thought these are the people that we're saying are coming to kill us or coming to rob us or coming to take from us, or they're they're a danger. These are desperate people. These are babies. These are children. You know, we cannot Mm -hmm. talk about people this way, you know? And um, so, you know, in the midst of, of a political season, um, which it seems like we haven't left the last two political (laughs) seasons, right? Is there ever not a political season? (laughs) Um, You know, how, how we talk about these people and how we, how we receive them and love them really ties into the witness of the church, you know? And, um, Mm -hmm. um, and I would love to, you know, you know, to to talk about ministry. That's a question that comes up because I think we're seeing this all wrong. We're missing a massive, massive opportunity as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, let's talk about that. What are some practical ways that we could help immigrants now?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously building relationships, um, you know, being present, uh, um, in in areas uh, that they're dealing with and struggling. And this was, uh, you know, in Montgomery. And and again, um, as I traveled around the, uh, the Southeast, um, I identified who are the churches that are working with immigrants, you know, uh, ESL programs and, and uh, you know, just different, um, you know, ministries. We have ministry c- uh, centers in our, in our town that we're helping with, with just practical needs um, with people, but it goes from like the very poor all the way to, Building relationships and cultural um, uh, affinity, as, as as I got to know Indian business owners uh, in uh, in Montgomery, and and realized that they were having cultural festivals, and 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 then we had, um, uh, if you remember when the New Zealand shooting happened, um, yeah, I was uh, there was a um, there was a a gathering at at the mosque that had just opened up in Montgomery. There was only one mosque there. And, um, mm-hmm. and so as a Baptist pastor, I went and I went to grieve um, because the Muslim community in Montgomery was very, was very much affected um, by what happened. And so I went there and was there with people from all over the world. And and you wow. talk to people and you build relationships and you get to know people. And then you tell people very clearly, I'm here because of Jesus. I'm here because I'm a follower of Christ and um, yeah. and he loves people and 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 there's good news. And so you, you end up with conversations and and you see yeah. the gospel go to people, um, you know, who aren't Christians. Uh, because of, because you didn't stand away from them, and because you didn't put up barriers that you weren't going to have a relationship, you, you know, with them. And so, but it happens in a very natural way through friendships and through relationships and through just getting to know people and caring about what they care about and care about what hurts them. And you know, um, you know, being aware of the struggles that they're having in a, in a new um, in a new community. And and um, you know, like I said, last year we had a million migrants come from all over the world, not just from Central America, but from all over the world, from countries everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the church, by and large, in America just missed it. Um, You know, uh, there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of talk about it. Um, You know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, this was a couple years in a row with, you know, child separation from families and all these different things. But we saw Mm -hmm. politically and there was this idea that if you if you try to help or even minister that you're taking political sides. And that wasn't true at all. Um, yeah. It was just being Christians. It was just loving people and receiving people. Um, so churches at the border did a great job. Your mother did an incredible job. Um, you know, you know, churches yeah. in the El Paso sector did amazing as well as Tijuana and, you know, uh, McAllen, Texas and all, all the way up and down the border did incredible, but they should have been helped. Like, yeah. like we should have, the churches in the interior should have been resourcing and helping and 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 coming behind them and and um and i mean it should have just been a mass movement that didn't take place you know and um yeah and that was a big part of of my concern last year but the same in our communities i mean we have people who've come to our cities within the last five years um that relationships can still be built and they can still be welcome they can be invited to our homes they can be you know i mean so much can happen if we would just open our eyes and see and so i talk about um uh, something that I've written about is the is the speak acronym, for example. Um, so Proverbs 31, eight and nine says that we're to speak on behalf of those who have no voice. So we should speak for the vulnerable and for the oppressed. And so I, this is just, um, I'm not big on acronyms. Like I never do acronyms. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> my brain doesn't work the way, but one day I actually thought of one and so I was so proud. Um, so, so based on, yeah, I know. Okay. Right. So, so based on Proverbs 31, eight, and nine, um, uh, the S is for C, that we would see the, the, the immigrants in our midst because lots of times they're invisible. We just bypass them um, and we don't mm-hmm. see their communities. We don't see, uh, you know, what they're doing. And and uh, we might go to a restaurant and, and get something to eat of a food we like, but then we just kind of go on, you know. Um, and then the second thing is to pray. And I put C before pray because... Once we see things and we, and, and we should always ask God to give us eyes to see, but then we can pray as we really see, you know, what's going on. Yeah. Um, and then we can pray for people. And um, the next thing is to engage. Um, so after we see them, after we pray for them, that we engage uh, with the gospel and with good works, with love, uh, that we find out what their issues are and we come alongside them. And, um, and then the next thing is to, is to advocate or to act on their behalf. Um, mm-hmm. As we engage them, we build relationships. We become very much aware of uh of of things that they're dealing with there was a um a a mexican immigrant couple that i went to visit in montgomery one day and they were very poor and i went to their house to check on them after something um had happened and we we were with them and and uh the husband he comes to me and he shows me a ticket that they had gotten when they went to get a tag renewed and and uh and, and the cop pulled them over and the ticket was for uh um, there was, they had done nothing wrong. Um, but he asked for their license and they were undocumented. So they didn't have a license. And so he gave him a ticket for driving without a license. Well, there's no way he could have known that. And the policy in our city was to not, was to not profile. Um, and, and, and local police have no authority over, over immigration. They hadn't committed other crimes, done anything wrong, but this yeah. police officer was profiling. And so I was friends with the chief of police and, and I went to him and I showed him, I took a picture of the ticket and I showed him and, he thanked me and he said he would, he would, he would address it right away. And, and so he um, uh, then goes to the whole department and says, we will not profile our Hispanic neighbors. We're not going to pull them over just because you see a Hispanic couple driving a car. And so, um, Uh so through, I mean, that's just one example with the relationships we have to leverage those relationships. And that's what that 's the concept behind privilege, right so if yeah. you, if you have relationships and you have privilege, do you use it for others and it's not that you shouldn't have it i'm glad I had it i'm glad I had relationships, yeah. but I right. shouldn't just use it for myself. I should use it on right. behalf of others who don't have that and then the last thing is k, which is keep going um, because once you see once you pray, once you engage, once you advocate and act, then you wake up tomorrow and you have to do it all over again um, yeah. and you get to do it all over again because the people are right in front of you, and God uses all that, and then movements start and then churches start we we're able to start a church amongst immigrants um, um, in Montgomery uh, building relationships and doing that very thing and so it just grows and grows and so um, that's kind of uh, what I encourage people to do and, and how I go forward with it.
0: Wow that's so good and I, I love the story of how you used your privilege to help um, that couple and I think a lot of people feel um, with all the conversation that's going on right now about systemic racism and a lot of things that it just people feel kind of sometimes defeated, like what is something they could practically do? Mm -hmm. And I think your example of like, you know, you know, someone which is a privilege Mm -hmm. and as a white man and being able to use that relationship to to help others is just a small thing. That's a really big thing for others because of the way that, you know, dealt with the system. Yeah. So when we think about like, you know, there's a lot of different ways, like we mentioned earlier, to immigrate into the U.S. system, we have Here in Silicon Valley, actually in Sunnyvale, where I'm working, um, we have a very large number of H-1B visas, which, Mm -hmm. you know, in the recent months have been, Mm -hmm. there's been a shift because of the current, you know, administration on some of that. There's also like spouse visas or student visas that we mentioned earlier. There's, you know, the whole asylum seeker situation has, has obviously changed. There's so many ways to immigrate into America. And so like, what are your thoughts about the current immigration policies and processes? So if people are trying to figure out how to make those systemic changes as people of faith or or, or not, maybe some people listening have no faith background at all, but what are some practical ways people could think about this whole immigration process in our nation? Um, and what are some things you wish would could change that we could help advocate for?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean you know, very honestly speaking, the whole policy and approach toward immigration in our country right now is none. Don't do it. Um, and that's not an exaggeration. I mean, that's just what it is. Uh, and it, it's, uh, it's been a war on, on, uh, obviously on, on illegal immigration. Um, uh, you know, that's been since day one, it's been a complete dismantling of the refugee resettlement process, um, uh, Mm -hmm. um, from top to bottom, uh, where we're, where we, where where refugee resettlement has been has been stopped um uh you know and and COVID is used as a as example um uh, i I wrote a piece for the bulwark uh just i guess recently not too long ago um about refugee resettlement and how it's it's basically ended um uh you have that but then also legal immigration legal immigration is, is being slashed dramatically um and and, yeah. and and COVID is being used uh, for part of this, but it really that doesn't really make sense because you could be tested and be shown to not have COVID and then be allowed to go through the process to come in, you know, so right. it isn't like COVID is a hidden disease that people can't figure out. And so therefore you have to keep people from other countries away, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it's, you know, and then the asylum process has been dismantled as well. Um, so every, you know, um, and then there was a move against international students uh, too, um, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, that... And so there's been pushback on all of these things. There's been there have been advocates who have spoken against all of these decisions that have been made. Um, but the overall goal is to have as few immigrants come in as possible until there's an industry that really says, "Hey, we need workers, and our industry is about to go under if we don't get more workers." And so then there'll be like ag workers. There's there's been a movement for um, for more ag workers to come in because of because the you know farmers and dairy and you know, yeah. um, uh, these industries have to have them and they can't get them from American workers. And so, yeah. you know, you'll see that from time to time kind of emerge and be like, Oh, we're bringing in more workers on this certain visa because, because we have to have them, but that's from lobbying from those industries, which is important. And, and Silicon Valley does a lot of that lobbying too, but the h one B visa has been demonized as, as, a, as, as against American workers. And so that's become problematic. Um, yeah. But just overall, just to kind of know that every avenue of immigration is basically opposed um, even legal immigration um, and uh, and and that you're gonna have to kind of claw and uh, you know fight tooth and nail on every single aspect to 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 make sure that things aren't happening that are opposed to immigrants so um, that sounds harsh and it sounds partisan but it, it's just a it's just a reflection on what's happening it's not really um, uh, any type of ideological um, judgment it's just pretty objectively true. This is what's been going on for the last, you know, almost four years.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, it helps just to have it said with such clarity, because I think there is so much (laughs) rhetoric out there and there's so many different news sources that are uh, not being careful about the kind of news that they report. and, And we're hearing stories that are very distorted about immigrants and for the most part like you said i think the immigrants i've met in america are just some of the most lovely people mm-hmm. and really add to our nation my mom and i we have family on my mom's side that live in canada they live in victoria and my mom and i took a trip together the two of us to go visit some of our relatives up there a few years back and we were uh, in vancouver at the end and we were in a taxi going back to the airport and our taxi driver was talking about how much he loved immigrants in Vancouver because they bring their food and they have all this amazing food in Vancouver. And then they bring their families to join in and, you know, adopt the Canadian lifestyle. And as a Canadian, he's very proud to be Canadian. He thinks it's uh, has a good reputation around the world and he's right. Um, And he's like, for people to want to come to this nation and become a part of our lifestyle and, and, Um, And raise their families in our schools and learn about our way of life and adopt our way of life. It's just the greatest honor. Uh And I thought, oh, man, you know, they were at the border receiving people with blankets coming into Canada at a time when they were being very rejected in the United States. And I just thought, oh, what a beautiful perspective. I wish more people could see that side of what immigrants really actually do bring to our to our culture and how it enriches us. Right. As Uh Americans. So, um, I think I I would love for you, you already shared a story about this couple that you advocated for that was pulled over by the, the cop, but is there another story that you could think of of an immigrant that really just captures what you feel like Americans need to know about immigrants right now?
1: Hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of stories, gosh. Um, you know, that's what I did for, for several years. I would just go around places and collect stories and meet people and connect people. And, and, um, you know, but there was this one lady um, uh, that sticks out. And I, I got an interview and a video interview with her. I'm going back and, and, and I watched it from time to time. But um, I was at this little church. Uh, it was down in South Alabama. And it was um, it's, it's a town I won't, you know, name names or anything like that. Just, you know. Um, but <laughs> but it was, um, it's a small town that was co-located with this pretty big poultry plant. And uh, and so there were a lot of immigrants from from Central America and from Mexico who had moved to this town, and uh, there was a church working with them, doing really great work. And and there was this church that had been formed on the edge of a uh, of a pretty large trailer park that backed up to fields and the woods and everything. And so the uh, the trailer park had, had had all of these trailers and it had dirt roads. And and you walk into the trailer park, and then very quickly it's like you're in Guatemala or you know, southern Mexico or Honduras, because everything changes. Um, Spanish is the only only language spoken. There were mixed tech immigrants from the southern hills of Mexico living amongst uh, people from Central America. There were chickens, uh, you know, running (laughs) around, Um, you know. Little children barefoot, and I mean, as I've traveled to these other places, I'm like, you know, okay, this is, you know, this is a different world. You know, (laughs) Um, you know, you could see, you could smell the smells of people cooking. You know, I mean, it's just um, um, all of this, and so. There was a there was a little church that that formed. It was um, uh, Alabama Baptist uh, uh, had a missionary that was working these areas and these towns with the poultry plants, just like a farm missionary would, um, as, as far as going in and building relationships and starting starting uh, ministries and, and uh, churches and, and things. And so I went there one night. Um, I'd, I'd been there several times, and and I went there one night and I met this woman. And her story, she she was from. I think she was from guatemala if i remember correctly her grandmother's her, her mother left years before her father was i uh, was dead uh she was in a very very difficult community her um her mother had come to alabama to work in the poultry plants she was eight years old and she was sent um, to live with her mother who she didn't really know her mother left when she was like one year old and her grandmother had raised her but her grandmother sent her To live with her mother she shows up she lives with her mother for for several years she goes to school at 12 years old uh, she's taken out of school and she's sent to work in the poultry plant at 12 years old Um, and that was the end of school for her now this is uh, this is america this is the united states and this this poultry plant hired this child to come work these are the types of things that are happening right it's all it's, it's it's off the books it's you know it's it's um it's it's in the shadows of these small southern towns um, and this would have been 18 years ago because when I met her two years ago, she was 28. So 12, wow. so, so 16 years before that. So yeah, this was in the two thousands. Okay. Um, Great. so that's it with school. Um, she, you know, meets somebody, she has several children, By this time she is 28. She has five children. She's undocumented, um, because she was just uh, sent here, um, uh, smuggled in, um, her mother, um, I believe, passed. Her grandmother passed. Um, she has no family to go back to. Back in Guatemala, she's an undocumented immigrant with five U.S. citizen children and no husband who, who's, who's also abandoned her. Um, wow. And she just works. She does, you know, um, housework. She, she, you know, she works where she can. Very, very poor. Uh, the year before that, she was met by some ladies um, there who were who were volunteering with the ministry from the local Baptist church. And she was led to Christ and baptized. And so she's being discipled and growing in the Lord and very strongly articulates a faith in Jesus. And but the but the life that she told me and the childhood that she told me about and what she went through was just absolutely heartbreaking. And um, and, and, you know, her story was confirmed and verified and everything. And so this is somebody who is considered to be, quote, an illegal immigrant. Um, and there's no way for her to get legal. You know, there's, yeah. there's no process that she can go through, but she has nowhere to go. Yeah. You know, she has no, she was sent here. She didn't choose to come. She was forced to come. Um, she was, she didn't graduate high school, so she didn't, wouldn't qualify for DACA. She wouldn't qualify for all of the different things. What do we do with this stateless person who lives amongst us? Well, the local Baptist church there and this in this church plant in the in the in the migrant community in the, in the immigrant community there, they've they've received her, they've loved her, they've shared Christ with her. But why wow. why can't the government that we live in make a way for her to be not for the rest of her life in this situation or fearing deportation to a place that she doesn't yeah. even know and can't and couldn't support herself? And so those are the types of things, those are the stories that fueled me where I said, Okay, this isn't about politics. This is about people and how yeah. can we find a way to help help these people in desperate need and also as churches how do we receive them and minister to them because they're souls that god made in his image and loves and and there are ways that we can we can reach out to them so that's a story from a couple of years ago that that you know i i asked her if i could do a video and i did and i posted it i didn't share a name or where i was um but i wanted people to hear the story and so those are in there. I have a bunch more stories like that of people that I've met that just fuel me to continue to speak on their behalf, you know?
0: Yeah. Wow. It's so heartbreaking and it feels like there's such a system stacked against someone like that. And, and yet it's so beautiful to know that that church has come around her, and it does give me hope that there are roles that the local church and local people of faith can, can a role they can play. Um, but it does still leave that question of, um, you know, what are the systems around us and ways we can help in those systems? And so, what would you what would you say would be the biggest system that we should try to work toward helping change that we could help? What would you say to that?
1: Oh wow! Um, yeah. I mean I think that you know uh, it all starts with with seeing and receiving you know um if you want to talk about really how to make change because once you're in relationship with people and once you're willing to and this is as an American citizen not just as a as a white person per se um but as a as a citizen um every American citizen has a lot of power you know uh to be to yes. be able to speak and to be able to advocate and to be able to to um to write and uh, talk and, you know, and then vote. And, you know, one thing is to I, I talk about this. And I'm not I'm not concerned. Like, we should be able to talk about issues and not be worried about if people think you're trying to advocate for one politician or another. I'm actually not. You make that decision. That's up to you. Yeah. But I, I'm not going to be captive to, I can't talk about immigrants because there's one party that opposes them, one party that accepts them. And then people think that I'm promoting the party that accepts them. I'm not doing that either. There are lots of yeah. reasons yeah. why people vote. This is just one issue. And, and, and right. the vote, our, our vote, while it's really important, shouldn't be the only thing we do on this. Right. Like We have four years in between presidential elections, two years in between congressional elections. The vote is something you do on one day. The way you live, your lifestyle, what you speak about, what you care about, that's what you do every day. And, yeah. and, and we shouldn't be pushed into a corner where our vote defines us. And then everything we do in between that time, well, are you saying we shouldn't vote for so-and-so? I haven't, I'm not even thinking about who you vote for. I'm talking about I'm talking <laughs> about lives and what matters and these policies that are stacked against them should be changed. And, and, and yeah. the ones who have the most power to change, uh, 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 President Trump's policies and, and, and what has emerged as a new Republican because because seven, eight years ago, Republicans were pretty pro-immigrant um, and they had yeah. a lot of pro-immigrant policies and they were very friendly towards immigrants. This has all been very recent. But the people who have yeah. the most potential to change this on behalf of immigrants are Mr. Trump supporters. You know, it is the president's yeah. supporters. It's the people who go meet with them. It's evangelical leaders who go to the white house. They have the, the biggest voice. And, and, and yeah. if the president knew that evangelicals, for example, which is his base, if they knew, if he really heard from the church that we support you for a lot of other reasons, but we do not support your position on immigration. We want you to change. I think he would, yeah. um, because he has no other base. Um, And so there's an enormous amount of power and also responsibility on this. Um, So it isn't about who you vote for, it's about what you say in between. And so the culture of rejection, the culture of alienation and of promote, protect and defend my way of life and seeing people as a threat. Um, You know, these people threaten me and I have to protect my way of life. Therefore, I have to push away from them. Therefore, the political views that say these people should be rejected are the ones that I adopt to protect me. That's that's a false narrative. We can say that our way of life yeah. is enhanced by people from other countries if we receive them, and if they adopt. And I think what your friend in Vancouver said, or, or or the the driver you're talking to, what he said was really important. Immigrants also have a responsibility when they come to a country, to 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 um uh, integrate into that country and to integrate into that culture. And so yeah. often, uh, especially first generation immigrants, um, continue to, um, you know. Um, isolate, and part of that is because of fear, and that's on us as host people yeah. that we need to build those bridges yeah. and receive them and welcome them. And when they don't feel received, they you know they close up. But as we do that, there's also a responsibility for the immigrant to 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 welcome those relationships. It doesn't mean that they get rid of their culture, that they or, or that they don't um, carry on with with customs and and things like that. But we do need to constantly be building those bridges on both sides. And that's really important um, to tell that story that we can work together and we can coexist and, and thrive together. And then we speak to the system that opposes that. Um, that is basically based on fear and, and, um, and concern that, that these people take something from us. You ask, what is the one thing that, that we can speak into? That is it. It's this overall cultural, um, uh, you know, fear you know xenophobia, which is fear of the other, and uh, the biblical word for hospitality mm-hmm. is philozenia, which is love for the other. So hospitality counters yeah. xenophobia, um, and and, um, and and we can go a long way with that. And that isn't a political discussion. That is not who you vote for. That is about how we live in between and taking that view into that will make a massive difference. And then there are, are policy issues and then there are things we can advocate for and we can talk about what, what helps people and, 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 and what's good for people. And, and that's a, a lot of stuff um, that flows out of that care and concern for the other.
0: Well, you've given us a lot to think about and a lot of practical ways we can help both in small micro ways and in macro ways with systems. And and just the stories that you shared are just so compelling. They give us real faces, real people to think about. That um, you know, we can ignore what's going on if we don't consider ourselves to be immigrants, even though in America, unless you're a full-blooded Native American of some tribe, mm-hmm. you pretty much are. Um, you know, we can see ourselves as outside of this whole camp and not get involved. But I just think you've shown us today that. Um, even a little bit of light can dispel darkness and it doesn't take a lot. um, But it just takes, you know, determining within yourself that you're going to be that kind of person. You're going to, you're going to take that step um, because we don't want to live in fear. Mm -hmm. And, and the opposite of, of fear is love, love casts out fear. And if we can be the kind of people that love and receive, um, we'll get so much in return. And I think that's the part of the conversation I want to end on, which is that, um, in my experience, both being an immigrant in other countries and helping receive and love on immigrants here, I, I have gained so much. And I know my mom would say the same. Uh-uh. I know people like you who have been involved would say the same. It's not just that we're giving. It's that we also receive so much when we get into be involved in people's lives and see the incredible faith people have mm-hmm. in the midst of very difficult circumstances. It inspires me to be a more loving giving caring person when i when i get out there and see how so many immigrants are those kinds of people and those stories they bring with them what they're living here in america you know 12 year old girls being put to work uh-huh. and somehow still making a life here and it's inspiring we gain so much so it's not just that we're doing it for them but it's definitely it's a reciprocal kind of relationship where we can we can all benefit and when we see light dispelling the darkness like that, it just it gives us hope. And if there's anything we need right now in COVID and, and in difficult times, I think we need hope. And sometimes we can find it in the most unlikely places, which is in the life of someone who's come here believing with all kinds of hope that that this can be a better place for them to, to work and raise their families, right? Yeah. Well, I would love for you to point people to where they can find more information about you, because I know you do a lot of writing. So. Um, would you point our listeners to where they can follow you and, and hear more about what what you're trying to share?
1: Um, yeah, I, I don't really have one place. Um, I used to, to have a website um, that I'll put things on, but it's kind of um, it's just kind of all over the place. I, I, write, I write for the Bulwark um, on occasion. I write for a Religion News Service. Um, I have author pages there. Um, I've, I've written for the New York Times and I'm able to do that. Um, I'm a big contributor for them uh, from time to time. So those are the main places. Um, you know, uh, that you can find me. I'm I'm on Twitter and you can find me there too. Uh, um, But, you know, just articles and, and, uh, you know, things like that as I continue to speak. So,
0: Well, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're busy doing lots of things Mm -hmm. up in Marin County and I just really appreciate you speaking to all my listeners um, and challenging them, but also just doing it from a heart of love and care and concern uh, and wanting to receive people well. I just Mm -hmm. pray that God blesses you and all your efforts as you're here in California, still being that voice that we, that we all need to listen to. Yeah,
1: Lori. And uh, it's been good to know you for what, 20, 20 something years now, I guess we're, we're, we're getting, yeah. uh, we're getting older. So, but I, but I, <laughs> yeah, but I'm really glad you're doing the podcast you've been just an amazing voice for many, many years. And, and your listeners are very, are, are very um, uh, blessed to have you talking about these things. So I'm really glad you are.
0: Thanks Alan. Yeah thanks for being on the show. Say hi to your family. Sure
1: thing, thanks. bye.
0: Bye. Well, I know you, like me, were challenged by some of the things that we heard uh, my friend Alan talk about, and I just hope that these are the things that when they come into our minds and our hearts and our souls, and they they find a a place that didn't exist there before within us, maybe. Um, today there was some sort of invitation that was offered to you that you hadn't considered before. And if there's that space in your heart and your mind and your soul that is open to a new way of thinking that helps you go deeper into loving your neighbor better, um, to listening more, to wanting to find out what are some practical ways that you can help and be involved in either small ways or big ways or both. Um, I know that Alan, you know, mentioned some systemic ways he's helping and then just some personal one-on-one ways he's helping immigrants to be welcome here. And if there is a part of your life that could be more welcoming in larger, small ways and you've kind of had some new thoughts about what that would look like today, you know, I would just encourage you to, to go for it, to just move forward in that and to not stay where it's comfortable when there's a chance to really reach out and be a welcoming neighbor, either to a next door neighbor or to someone within your city or just country. And um, for those of you in the United States of America, these are some really practical ways that Alan mentioned that you could help, which is to, you know, just be an advocate even with the the authorities in your own city to uh, find ways to just offer a helping hand. And there's a lot of resources out there. Whether you do that through your church or you organize through your neighborhood or whatever spaces that you're in but I would just encourage you to have these conversations with your loved ones with your family and your friends and bring people on board with you because these kinds of opportunities just are everywhere and I think Alan mentioned that so much of what happened last year was a real missed opportunity for those of us in the faith community and we just don't want to miss it again we don't want to miss that opportunity to be a part of an invite culture and part of a <clears throat> a nation and a neighborhood and a faith community and a household and a family and an individual who just is welcoming, I just know my life has been full of experiences of people in so many countries around the world who welcomed me and th- The things that touched me the most were you know Venezuelans who accepted me as part of their culture, even though my citizenship was was not there. But just embracing me as one of their own, even today, and you know, Indonesian friends, even Muslim friends, who accepted me as um, a follower of Jesus into their homes, fed me halal meals, and um, never saw me as a stranger who was dirty or unacceptable or or different in such a way that they couldn't welcome me and just the hospitality that it's been extended to me in Indonesia and Singapore and Venezuela and Costa Rica and other countries where I've traveled but not lived has just been life-changing and eye-opening, and I want to be that kind of neighbor, that kind of citizen who, now that I'm living in the country where I am a citizen, has a chance to be that one who goes out of my way to invite and to welcome and to accept and to love, even when I may have very different beliefs, very different foods that I eat or ways of living. Um, I just know how it felt for me all these years and for my kids and my parents, my brothers, for us to be so warmly welcomed and received. And I just encourage you to press into that today. If there's parts of that that are uncomfortable for you or you have questions, I would just encourage you to have those conversations with people who can help you work through it and um, and find whatever ways you can be a part of it, because it really does change a, a neighborhood, it changes a family, it changes a generation, it changes a nation, when we just take that first step. And so I encourage you today to just make a plan of how that's going to look for you in the next year. There's just a lot of craziness in the United States of America and around the world. And, um, and COVID has made us feel more separate from each other in some ways than ever. And we do have to do things differently, but it doesn't mean we don't do them. We still find ways to to reach out and be welcoming because it's the right thing to do. And because when we do that, it enriches us when we get to learn from and befriend those who are different. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about being different and making a difference in the world in small and big ways wherever we are. So chew on that for this week. Alan's given us a lot to think about. Follow him on Twitter. Twitter. Read his book, When Heaven and Earth Collide. Read his articles in the New York Times and the different spaces where he's writing. And, um, And just think through those ideas for what it means for you and for those around you. next week we have a super exciting guest who lives in chad yes that's chad the country in the middle of africa if you don't know where it is look it up on google maps before next week (laughs) Um, amanda stillman is going to be our guest she is the africa programs director for never thirst which is an organization that provides clean water in the form of wells for different um countries in africa and asia that's where they work they work with local partners and She has been an immigrant most of her life um, and has known a lot of immigrants, worked with immigrants through the work that she does. Um, And you're just gonna hear some exciting stories. She speaks multiple languages and just has a real heart to, to make a difference in the world. And so we're going to hear her perspective on immigration and also just uh, helping the poor and the different things that she's involved with now as an adult. But we'll probably dig a little bit into her childhood because I knew her when she was a little girl growing up in Indonesia and was a friend of her parents and her and all her sisters. So tune in next week for Amanda Stillman and have a great week, everybody.